Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. What is this podcast about? It is simple, has no frills, no interviews so far, no music. This is just a simple teaching, verse by verse, of the scriptures. I'm so glad that you're listening. I didn't take time in the last episode just to say thank you, and I really am thankful, and I pray for you. And uh, just pray that this would be a blessing to you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus as you live for Him as His slave. And we like to just go through the Word of God. I have been thinking about and teaching, well, I've been teaching the Word of God for over 25 years, and I've been fascinated with the Scriptures and still am to this day. And I know that you are too interested in the truth of His Word. Today we're covering Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. But before I read that portion, let me review a little bit. So far in this second letter, the Apostle Peter has mentioned our salvation, uh, our sure salvation. He told us that he's always ready to remind us and his listeners at that time. These were uh, churches that were being persecuted, if you remember from 1 Peter, the letter that he wrote, the first letter that he wrote. He wants us to call these things to mind. He wants us to call our mind to how awesome our salvation is, our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in our salvation. Now he's going to compare and describe what we believe, kind of, and why we believe it. Remember that his first letter was written to encourage us in our suffering, that we can walk in victory on the path of suffering. But this letter is completely different. He's taking one last opportunity before he dies. He knows that his death is near, and he will be crucified, as Jesus told him as he restored him there on the beach. He lived his whole ministry life knowing the way that he would die. He would stretch out his arms and die for the Lord, and he did this ministry, led the church, wrote these letters. This one last opportunity he's taking to warn us against false teachers, a common theme in the New Testament. And in this passage today, he's going to remind us of some things that he went through personally with Jesus Christ. It's pretty interesting stuff. When you think about what the Apostle Peter wrote, and you you reflect back on what we know of how he walked with Jesus, all of the mistakes that he made, the victories that he had, the failures that he had, and then you read what what he wrote, it's just so encouraging to see this sanctifying process of understanding the teachings of Jesus. And the Apostle Peter obviously had that. Let's get into it. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. Then we'll just go through it. Here's what it says. And it, this is just, what, four or five verses? This is so rich. Listen to what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That is, that is, a, that is a lot that he says in one passage. In this passage, there's going to be something dealt with that maybe the most important, maybe the most elementary, maybe the most fundamental portion of your Christian life, and that is simply how you and I think of the Word of God, the Bible that you own, the Bible that you have in front of you. What do you think of that? I have an old friend, I'm sure many of you can relate to this. He's just gotten away from the scriptures. He used to follow the Lord, but now not so much. But his roaming away from the Lord started with his departure from the Word of God. He stopped believing that the God of the universe, by the power of his Holy Spirit, had written the Bible. And if you can't trust a part of the Bible, then the entire thing is suspect, right? I mean, if you can't believe part of it, then what part do you believe? Say, well, I have, I have a problem believing that he wrote about creation. Okay, well, what about the virgin birth? That's a tough one. Or the wrath of God that you see in Scripture. How do you reconcile that? Or the love of God, or the death of Christ, or the incarnation of Christ, or salvation by faith alone. You see, it just, it, just one thing leads to another, and you either take it as God's Word, or you do like Thomas Jefferson and just kind of rip pieces out of it and make your own Bible. And uh, I don't think there's much safety in that. You know, this is what really set apart the Reformers in their day. They fundamentally believed that God's Word was written by God, and it is holy Scripture. They believed that God has decided in these days, as Hebrews 1.1 says, to reveal Himself through Jesus Christ, that is, through the apostles' teaching, the Word the, the, the word of God, the understanding of the Scripture, that is the way that God reveals himself. What the Apostle Peter has written here confirms that this is a foundational truth for all of the apostles as well. They would agree with what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19.7 when he said, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Just even saying this reminds me of my life, and I hope yours is too, is consumed with the Word of God and what the Word of God says about Christ, about the Father, about life, about living, about worship, about teaching, just about wisdom, about sin, about holiness and heaven and hell and, 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 and purity and everything. Our minds should be filled with the Word of God. How about this from Isaiah 55, 10 and 11? It says this, maybe a familiar passage for you, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. As the Apostle Peter gets into this idea of false teachers, which is what is going to be the theme of this second letter, he's, he's starting off, he, he knows the number one way that a false teacher can lead us astray is to undermine our trust in Scripture itself. That is the first thing a false teacher must do, because then they can come in and say anything they want. 
Matter of fact, this is the ultimate spiritual warfare that's spoken of in the New Testament. I think like something of maybe 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the dangers of false teachers, false teaching. And and did you know that true spiritual warfare is all about knowing the truth and guarding yourself against the lies of false teaching? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this is 3 through 5. Common passage, often misunderstood. Here's what it says. For although we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, here's the key. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. I don't know what kind of teaching you've had about spiritual warfare. There's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. It's very clear that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that the spiritual warfare that they were taking part of was destroying speculations and destroying everything that rose up against what? The knowledge of who God really is. And then uh, how do we engage in this fight? Well, we don't, we don't engage in this fight in a natural, carnal way. We engage in this fight by taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. In other words, we destroy the lies of false teachers with the truth and knowledge of the Word of God. This is why so many can be so easily led astray, because there's such a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. This is exactly why the Apostle Peter uses the word knowledge at least 16 times in these three brief chapters in this second letter. Why write so much about knowledge? Because the Apostle Peter understood that this is the way you destroy false teaching. You destroy false teaching by really knowing the truth of the Scriptures and the the truth of God that's revealed in Scripture. You remember back some years ago when a man named David Koresh led a group of people out to uh, Waco, uh, Texas, to a compound? There's a documentary on about everything nowadays. There's a documentary on that, too, and movies have been made as well. But anyway, he had some supposed new revelation about the book of Revelation and one of the sixth or seventh seals, and God had spoken to him, just like God has spoken to Joseph Smith. Never trust these guys. Like God's going to wait till David Koresh shows up to reveal something about Scripture that has been written for thousands of years and the church fathers has, have agreed upon. But no, no, no. Well, he, God was waiting for David Koresh to show up. He had some new revelation. But how were people taken in? Because they were taken in. Uh, how are reasonable people tricked into something as sinister as the Jehovah's Witness cult or Mormonism? Or all of these false teachers, how are they taken in? I think according to Second Peter, he would say they lacked the true knowledge that they needed. They didn't destroy all of these speculation, these lofty things that had lifted, lifted themselves up against the, the knowledge of God, as the Apostle Paul wrote. I promise you that the Lord is not going to give some divine revelation of Scripture to one guy, even if his name is David. 
I guess this would be a good time for me to ask you, for me to ask myself, what do we, what do we think about this? Is there any false teaching I am listening to? If the New Testament apostles, the disciples of Jesus, the authors of the New Testament were greatly concerned about false teaching, and they said, and Jesus said, it would continue more and more, I wonder why we don't think about it very much. Is false teaching just something that happened in the first century? One way to safeguard yourself against false teachers is not to trust anything that undermines your trust in Scripture. So let's get into the Apostle Peter's eyewitness experience. He begins by saying, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. For, the for means that everything that was mentioned previously, which we already reviewed, all about the assurity of our salvation, the wonderful salvation that we have, for we didn't, in comparison, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales. Evidently, the false teachers were coming up with some clever, <laughs> devised tales. It's a, it's a very telling way of saying it, isn't it? Clever. This is what false teachers do, by the way. They'll come up with clever things. Just turn on your TV and watch some TV preachers. Clever, subtle, so-called sophisticated, concocted ideas. And they seem so right, right? They seem right. They'll have just enough truth in them to make you think that they're even scriptural or godly. So all of the false teachers, you know, the false teachers aren't just out there in the world. The false teachers are in the church. They're using just enough Jesus to make people think, well, they're using scripture. Just remember that Satan himself used scripture when he was tempting Jesus. He just would misquote it and misuse it. But he wasn't going to trick the very word made flesh. Jesus uh, was sure of what he knew of the Scriptures, and that's why it's so important. That's why the Apostle Peter wants us to know as well so that we can't be duped, we can't be tricked by these so-called sophisticated ideas. Remember, the enemy of our soul disguises himself as an angel of light. Carefully crafted lies, they attract gullible followers. Those who teach these cleverly devised tales... They'll have things like, you know, popularity and money flowing to them. They'll have power. They may be on TV. They, they've got all the trappings that make you think, well, I mean, it just seems like God is blessing them, right? The Apostle Peter, he's later going to tell us more about these false teachers, and what they actually look like in the next two chapters. But uh, I'm reminded of when the uh, serpent came to Eve in the garden, and what did he say? He said, hey, if you, if you eat this, you're not going to die. He didn't say you were going to die, but you will be wise, and you'll know what only God knows, and he doesn't want you to know what he knows. See how clever that is? How, oh, you're going to be more sophisticated. You should be aware of anyone who is teaching something that is a so-called new revelation from God. I'll just go so far as to say that when what you already know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if somebody comes to you and says, I have a new understanding of Scripture, I would suggest something to you at that point. Are you ready? Run. <laughs> Run from that person. Pastors and teachers are called to teach the Word of God, not their own ideas. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, 
Our culture is filled and fraught with people teaching their own ideas. Their own ideas about money and their own ideas about marriage, their own ideas about relationships and their own ideas about what diet you should be on. Please, please run from these people who teach on diets and they're supposed to be men of God teaching the scriptures. Beware of cleverly concocted tales and myths. That's what the Apostle Peter is saying. I would go on, I mean, I would say even more, beware of anything that's not clearly in Scripture. If there's ever anything that I say, I mean, you should test everything that I teach. Say, eh, I don't know, I'm going to dig into the Word. I'm going to be like the Bereans and dig into it and see. Because what authority do I have? And who am I? It's evident that those who are doing these false teaching that the Apostle Peter is talking about, also really had a problem with what he was saying about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He mentions that they had cleverly devised tales when he was teaching of the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were denying the second coming of Christ, which was not uncommon. It's good for us to remember that the first time that Christ came to the earth, obviously he came a humble, and then he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, a, a donkey's cold. I mean, he was he was humble, and he died for our sins. He came back from the dead. But the second time he comes, the imagery there is a powerful white horse, and there's flames that John the Revelator sees coming from his eyes, and there's a sword, and there's just all kinds of power and strength. And the second coming, the church will have already been raptured, the second coming is all about really the wrath of God. Makes sense. It makes sense then that the enemy and all of his teachers would want to deny the second coming of Christ. If people today really knew of the terrible day of the Lord and it's going to come, what would they do? They would repent. As believers, we're encouraged to stay awake, to keep our lamps lit, so that when the Master returns, what are we going to do? We're going to be ready for it. And I'm going to tell you, thinking about his return, him coming in the clouds, and I mean, that, that just keeps you always on the ready. The fact is the church will be raptured. I want to be ready for that when, he, when there, will be no, there will be no signs or evidence of that. We will just be gone. And then we will return with him. But when he returns, it will be one day of intense judgment from God. Maybe this is why we don't hear a lot about it. When I was a kid, this is an illustration that's going to fail, <laughs> I think, but it, but it helps me think about it, okay? When I was a kid, I would play outside all the time. We just played outside. Snow, play outside. Rain, play outside. Doesn't matter. Just play. And uh, I would go over to the neighbor, neighbor's house, and, and we would play. Steve Carter and my Japanese friend Hitoshi Hayashi, uh, we, we just played incessantly. And I had a gut feeling when it was getting late. I knew I needed to be home. It was about a block or two away from my house. I just knew I needed to be home. It started to get dark, but I was having so much fun. I didn't want to stop playing. And every now and then, not very often, but every now and then, I would avoid that gut feel of like, it's time to go home. And I would stay out too late. And then the dreaded moment would come when I would, would be out in the yard of my neighbor's yard and I would see my dad's car pull around the block. And that's when I knew that my mom had yelled 
and my dad had yelled. This was in a day and age when parents would stand out on their porch and yell for their kids. Now we text them in the other room. I get that. But I knew they had yelled for me, They had, and I was nowhere to be found. And finally, my dad had to get in the car and drive around the neighborhood to look for me. I was in trouble. My point of that story, and I told you it would fail, but we need to be ready. I just compared the coming of the Lord Jesus to my dad pulling up in an Impala. Uh, no, it, it's, it, it's, there's no comparison except for the fact that we need to be ready for his arrival. This, this is a topic that we don't hear a lot about, the second coming of Christ. I, I say, again, most likely in no small part because of the New Testament, the book of Matthew and Thessalonians, Revelation, the second coming of Christ is one wherein God judges the world. What does the Apostle Peter say about it? He says that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. Here, the Apostle Peter is referring to the time when Jesus took James, John, and Peter up on a mountain and he was transfigured. You may, may remember this story. His clothes were made white. It, one translation says, whiter than any launderer could make them. When Jesus was transfigured, he glowed. He was in his glorified state, the same state that they would see him after his resurrection. Remember, Mary fell at his feet and he said, don't cling to me, I'm, I'm going to the Father, right? He was in his glorified state, and on that mountain, Elijah, Moses met with him, and the three disciples, they fell on their face in fear, because that's what human beings do in the presence of Almighty God. The Apostle Peter then nervously, and if you remember the story, he suggested that they make some, oh, what a good time to make some tabernacles, <laughs> you know, build something here and, and, and make a memory of what is going, he was just scared. He was, he was freaking out, okay? Then God spoke from heaven. This is one of two times that God spoke from heaven about his son, which also rather proves the Trinity, doesn't it? Because you can't have one God in one place when you have the Holy Spirit lighting on Jesus as a dove, uh, Jesus being baptized, and the, and the Father speaking from heaven. But this is the, uh, the second time that he spoke from heaven, which is when Jesus was transfigured. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I mean, uh, the Apostle Peter was corrected by Jesus, get behind me, Satan, and then he was corrected from God from heaven. This is my son, just be quiet and listen to him, okay? And he remembers that, of course. He would remember, he was an eyewitness. The Apostle Peter, who wrote this letter, who was a living man on the earth, was an eyewitness to this glorification of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He was an eyewitness of Jesus, which you would think he would say, hey, listen to my teaching, I saw this stuff happen. But they didn't do that. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. The apostle Peter was an eyewitness to his glory and his majesty right there on the hill. But the apostle Peter won't use this, just his eyewitness account, to verify and validate his own teaching. He could easily do it, I suppose, if you can imagine. People today say that they've been with Jesus, they've been to heaven, they've been to hell, they've seen Jesus. Run from these people. There's no way. But instead, he goes on to say, that the prophetic word that they have is made even more sure than what they saw. This is, this is critical. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul said. Uh, he was privy to some pretty amazing experiences. He went into heaven and had revelations of Jesus Christ while there. And, but if you recall, the Apostle Paul didn't make those revelations his primary mode of teaching in terms of, hey, I went to heaven, listen to me, I'm an important person, I'm an important apostle, here's what the teaching, here's what Jesus showed me while I was in heaven. No. 
here's the book I wrote and here's my teaching tapes and you know here's my website and you need to send me money. No, I'm going to, you know, no, 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 no. That was not the primary source of his teaching, but instead he referred to the Word of God. If the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul are not willing to elevate their experiences above the Word of God, that should be true of every good teacher as well. Our experiences don't validate the Word of God because the Word of God doesn't need our validation. Our life lines up with the Word of God. I get that. But I don't validate the Word with my experience. If we preach our own experiences, we will be at a loss. Because then people have to trust in something that is often not verifiable, not repeatable, and often not, you know, it's kind of incomprehensible what can happen to an individual person. Paul actually preferred to defend his apostleship by talking about things like his suffering and his weaknesses, as opposed to his visions and strength. Just... Be warned and beware of people who talk of dreaming dreams and having visions. We have a more sure Word of God. We have the Scriptures. That's what we need to hear from. God's Word. There's nothing greater than His words. So the Apostle Peter is saying that it wasn't the fact that I was an eyewitness alone that validates my teaching, but that the prophetic word was even more sure. What the Apostle Peter means and the other apostles, whenever they say this, this idea of the prophetic word, is all of that they're referring to all of the teaching of the Old Testament. That's what they mean. So he says, uh, we would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word, the Old Testament teaching, the word of God as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This is an obvious reference to the Word of God. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's uh, from Psalm 119, 105. Peter clearly tells us that the Word of God provides a light to a sinful world. So, for example, when Jesus Christ returns, he says that the day will dawn, which is referencing the fact that when Christ returns, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no need for the sun or moon or stars because he himself will be the light. He goes on to say that the morning star will arise in our heart. Wow. This is simply a reference to Jesus Christ himself, who is the morning star, and he will establish his kingdom. And when Christ returns, our hearts will be changed by him. The morning star will arise in our heart simply means that we will have his righteousness complete in us. And all of our temporal revelation of Scripture will be replaced with a perfect eternal revelation of His person. When we see Him, we will be like Him. This is awesome. This is such good news. The morning star will arise in our hearts. It's all reference to what's going to happen at His second coming. He's going to establish His kingdom, and we're going to be transformed. As a side note, it's pretty amazing to see the reference to the second coming of of Christ in the New Testament in the Apostles' teaching, right? I mean, they look forward to his return. They look forward to being with him. They saw their last breath here as their first breath with him. I want that kind of faith. They had a better understanding of what was going to happen when he did return, and they had a more full faith. They weren't just believing God for what's going to happen in this temporal world. Could we please get over ourselves? It is not about what's happening only in this world. It is about his eternal kingdom. That's what it's about. They had a more full faith. They had a better understanding of his return and his future kingdom. And so we go on directly after speaking of this morning star, Jesus Christ, that's going to rise in our hearts. (laughs) Here's what the Apostle Peter says. 
Uh, this is right after he says this amazing stuff about Jesus coming back and transforming us. Listen to what he says. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This comes back to this theme. It's so critical. Immediately after reminding us of Jesus Christ, the morning star is going to return, transform us, judge the world. The Apostle Peter immediately goes again to the Word of God. I'm reminded where the Apostle Paul says that all Scripture is inspired by God. Scripture is God's revelation of himself. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is alive. It transforms us. It gives us a new mind. I love talking about his word. There's nothing in the world like it. No no prophecy of Scripture is man-made. In other words, Scripture doesn't originate from the mind of man, but from the mind of God. This is why the world can't comprehend it. It's veiled to those who don't know him. This fact alone should change our thinking about the Word of God. For example, Jeremiah and Ezekiel explain the Word of God and false prophets and false teachers in their own time. Listen to this. this is a kind of a mashup of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what they said at different times. Listen, listen to this. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of their own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, The storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It'll swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you'll clearly understand it. I don't send these prophets, but they ran. I don't speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I don't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. That's some powerful stuff. God is saying through the prophets, he's saying through the real prophets, which, by the way, if you were a false prophet, you'd die. If 100% of the stuff didn't come true that you said, then you were not a prophet and you were dead. You had to be 100% of the time correct in order to be a true prophet of God. He said, if they stood in my counsel, they would have announced what? My words to my people. But throughout Scripture, the false prophets would always, in times when people needed to repent, they'd say, oh, no, peace, peace, joy, joy. Everything's wonderful. Everything's wonderful. Everything's wonderful. Beware of any teacher teaching the Word of God who constantly tells you everything is wonderful. In other words, false prophets speak from their own ideas, their own things, their own ideas, their own human interpretations. But the Word of God is not made active by some human, but it was the contrary. On the contrary, it was written 
when men were moved by the Holy Spirit, and God spoke himself through them. So in other words, the Apostle Peter is saying that the men of God who wrote the Scriptures were moved by the wind of the Holy Spirit and wrote only what God wanted them to write. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Scriptures don't need anybody else adding things to them. We don't need something new. We need to understand what God wrote in the first place. For example, when the Apostle Paul was talking to Felix, the Roman governor, he said, But this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, I believe everything that the Scriptures say. He's challenging us, then, to stay close to the trunk of the tree, to stay in the Word of God, to trust the Word of God with our very eternal life. I had a friend of mine this past week ask me about some experience that he had had in church at some point in the past, and I'm just thinking, is it in the Word? Did Paul talk about it? If not, what is it? And I asked him, what was the result of all of those experiences? He said, oh, the place shut down eventually. As the Apostle Peter nears the end of his death, he wants all of his followers, all of us who follow Christ, to know that we have a more sure word that is written in Scripture as the very breath of God. i got to wrap up now. I'm going too long. I'm getting excited. Isn't the Word of God wonderful? I'm praying for you this week. Here's my prayer. My prayer for you this week is that as you open God's holy word, I'm so glad you're listening. You, as you Open God, I think God has led you to just listen to this podcast, uh, just to hear His Word. And I'm so honored to be able to teach it. I love teaching His Word. Here's my prayer for you, that as you open His Word this week, you would hear His wonderful voice. If you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible. If you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud. And I'm going to pray that we wouldn't be led astray by people who say that they have a dream or a vision or a word. We don't need people who have their own personal word from God when we have God's word for ourselves. I'd pray that you judge everything that I teach as well as everyone who teaches you the word this week, that you would study it out for yourself and find the truth. I pray that we would destroy speculations and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. I pray that we would take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord Jesus, help us to do that. And I pray that we'd walk in the light of his truth and the freedom and joy that we find in knowing, knowing him. I'm praying for you. I love you. God bless you.